The Daily Tap is live for Wednesday. We will talk about how the Packers being risk-averse is coming back to haunt them. We will also discuss the Green Bay Packers and the trade deadline and how they did nothing. Goes into the risk-averse conversation. And then lastly, we will talk about the MAU Doka and potential Brooklyn Nets relationship. What does that all mean? We will break it down and much more. Before we get going, make sure that you're following us along on social media, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping keg sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok, Facebook too. Lastly, uh, make sure that you are rating and reviewing if you are subscribed. If you're new to the program, you came in from one of the socials. Uh, we've had a reel that's been going viral for like weeks now, um, which whatever, no MBD, but KBD uh, has resulted in any followers, of course, uh, whatever, here nor there. Uh, but Regardless, uh, make sure that you are subscribed on Apple or Spotify. And if you already are, leave that review. We'd appreciate it. All right, let's get into it. And the Brian Gunacus research, research project is complete. For a couple weeks now, I've mentioned that I have a Brian Gunacus project in the works. That I had something that I thought about and thought that we could look at different things to evaluate Goody's draft strategy and evaluate what's going on and evaluate the other teams that are successful right now, such as the Kansas City Chiefs, the Dallas Cowboys, the Philadelphia Eagles, to name a few. So I dug into it. I, I really looked hard into what is the common denominator. Is there something here that I could find? Was there something that I could unearth and look at it? And I've came away, I've come away with a couple different things and a couple different takes. I guess takes would probably be the better, right? That's what you say in the podcast world these days, your takes. I've come away with three takes. Take number one, the Packers are way too risk averse. Some of you who have been critics of how the Packers have done things, it's going to be no shit Sherlock, right? But seriously, there is evidence to show how risk averse the Green Bay Packers have been and how it has cost them now in the present. Then we also have that COVID screwed up the Green Bay Packers. I don't know what happened here, but there is a clear line of demarcation between pre-COVID and post-COVID with the Packers' top four draft picks, um, top four selections, right? Uh, Rounds one through four in most years. There's some years where the Packers didn't have a fourth round pick, but it's clear that something happened during COVID versus pre-COVID. And then lastly, they did not have a succession plan for Devontae Adams, which would lead me to believe the Packers never knew that Devontae Adams was thinking about potentially flying ship and leaving Green Bay. And that Green Bay didn't do enough to make sure that Adams was comfortable and Adams was okay here in Green Bay. So those are the three big things. And we're going to get into all of those. I'm sure there are other variables. I'm sure there are other things. And at the end of this, I will let you know how I feel and how I stand with the Packers front office and their organization. Number one, we as we talked about, was risk aversion. And the Packers are avoiding risk at all costs. And if you look at the teams who are at the top of the table right now, none of them, besides the Tennessee Titans, are risk averse. And we'll talk about the Titans here in a second because I think they are actually the closest thing to the Green Bay Packers at the moment. If you look at the Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs, the... Philadelphia Eagles, the Dallas Cowboys, they've all done something that the Green Bay Packers have not. They have traded a first round pick for a player. 
The Buffalo Bills traded a first for Stephon Diggs in the last five years during the Gunakus administration. The Kansas City Chiefs not only have traded a first once, they did it twice, they did it three times. They traded one for Patrick Mahomes in 2018. They traded one for Frank Clark. They traded one for Orlando Brown. The Dallas Cowboys traded one for Amari Cooper. The Philadelphia Eagles recently just traded a first for A.J. Brown. Now, I know what you're saying. Not all these people are top-tier talent. Not, not all these people are going into the Hall of Fame. But they took a shot. The Chiefs one, to me, is the most glaring of, the, of all. Because the Chiefs have said, fuck them picks, respectfully, right? They haven't said it as loud as, La- as Les Snead has. But the Chiefs are doing a similar model to the Rams and always improving. Getting guys like Frank Clark and Orlando Brown, who I don't think either are probably worth a first-round value, but the Chiefs refuse to get outbid. Stephon Diggs and A.J. Brown are reasons why both of those teams, the Bills and the Eagles respectively, are succeeding and are some of the best teams in the league, if not the best teams in the league. The Packers did not make any sort of move like that. The Packers have not traded a first-round pick in a very long time. I, I do not even know when the last time the Packers traded a first-round pick. It might have been Reggie White, but I'd have to look that up. And we, and we can get stats and information on that. The Titans also didn't make a didn't trade a first-round pick during this time. They got a first-round pick for A.J. Brown. The Packers also got a, a first-round pick for Devontae Adams. Chiefs that also got a first-round pick for Tyreek Hill. So they they do acquire first-round picks here and there. The Eagles had multiple first-round picks, three different things. Uh, the Bills, I believe, had multiple first-round picks. So it's not like this is just a one-of-one, one, and that leads to opportunities to take those chances. But I do look at this and say, man, Green Bay could have done more. Why didn't Green Bay once or twice look at a potential option to trade away a first-round pick for a top-tier talented player. Why wasn't that put on the table at all for the Packers? First-round pick carries a lot of weight. I understand that. But there are multiple years where maybe it would have made sense. Jordan Love, which we'll talk about here in a second, that would have been a perfect opportunity to trade away your first-round pick and get something more in value. You could have either got more picks for that year or you could have got something for the following year. You could have set yourself up for success if you just punted in round number one and it would have been okay. Or if you would have traded back and got a T. Higgins or a Michael Pittman, who the Packers, I would assume, had likely second round grades in. But Green Bay didn't do that. Rather, Green Bay took Jordan Love and the story goes on from there. It really bummed me out. I'll be honest. Like when I found that, I was like, this this is really, it's really concerning, right? Because it seems like there is a market efficiency in to not valuing first round draft picks. Just, it, it, it the proof is in the pudding, right? I realized that sometimes you're successful. And one of the things that I wanted to look at with the Packers was what was the average draft selection? So if you broke it down and you looked at where they were drafted, you know, were the Packers at a disadvantage versus some of the best teams in football? The answer is kind of, right? The Bills drafted, their average draft selection was 17.8. They had top picks with Josh Allen and Ed Oliver. The Eagles was 19.6. The Cowboys was 19.2. The 
Titans were 22, so they were actually worse than the Packers, which was 21.4. I did not even register the Chiefs because they traded three first-rounders, so you couldn't even put a number on the Kansas City Chiefs. That's absurd. That is absolutely crazy to me that you can't put a number on what the Kansas City Chiefs did because, again, they went after it and they solved problems by trading away their picks. The Packers tried to draft guys to solve their problems, and that hasn't really worked since 2019. Let's get into that part. When you look at the Green Bay Packers drafts, when you look from round one to round four, the Green Bay Packers had some really good drafts at the beginning of Brian Gunacus's tenure. Coincidentally enough, this was when people went all over the place where Zoom meetings weren't a thing. No one knew what Zoom was at that point. No one also knew what COVID-19 was. And something changed when COVID-19 happened. Since COVID, there have been a lot of things that leave you questioning what Brian Gunacoust is actually doing. Now, is this because they're taking less visits? Is it because scouts are doing more virtually and they're not getting boots on the ground and that's leading to poor evaluations and leading to things that are going wrong? Because even last year, maybe the access wasn't as solid as maybe it is this year. So is it this year where the Packers are going to nail the draft? And maybe we will have our answer. Maybe after the 2022 draft, maybe we will actually look at things and say, okay, this was the reason. This was part of the problem and why Green Bay had a little bit of a talent dip in the last couple of years. It is kind of jarring to see what was 2018, what was 2019 with bona fide studs And there are none of them really to be found from 2020 and on. So let's start at 2018. And you guys can watch the progression. You can watch the timeline. And what I did was I looked at the the pick itself. And then I looked at basically five picks after it. And that was sort of how I determined like, okay, is this a good pick? Is it not a good pick? And that's sort of how we go forward with this. And like I said, I only did the first four rounds. I'll I'll explain that too. I don't think it makes any sense to go past round four. I think after round four, those are lottery tickets. Um, As you go deeper and deeper, round six, round seven, those are just, hey, if they're great, if they're stars, that's awesome. Our evaluation on this player was great. But that doesn't mean that every six six rounder is going to be a complete stud. So that's why we do one through four, because I think that is the easiest way to sort of shake out and figure out who are really talented and who were not. Jair Alexander was Brian Gunacusa's first pick. I feel good about that. Jair is one of the best corners in football. I think he's underutilized. I, I've kind of come around on Jair a little bit. I was annoyed at some of his commentary earlier in the season. And I've kind of done a 180. I think the trolling stuff really frustrated Buffalo. And I thought it was a good thing. And I think it's something that he can do going forward. I think that Lions team is going to definitely not be able to handle that. I, I can see a lot of Jair getting into a young Amra St. Brown's head. I love that. And Jair Alexander is a good pick. And I, I don't really dispute that one. I can't really put up a defense. The next pick was Josh Jackson. Now, that was an awful pick. 
that was not a good pick. But if you remember at the time, we all loved the idea of Josh Jackson because we all watched Big Ten football. Josh Jackson was an awesome player at Iowa. I think everybody thought Josh Jackson would be a good player, but he's not in the league anymore. They could have had Christian Kirk or Dallas Goddard. Those were in that five sort of area of draft picks. So Christian Kirk would have easily been your Randall Cobb replacement. Dallas Goddard could have been your tight end replacement. And you don't even have a Robert Tunyon at this point, which I, we all love Big Bob, but I think we would all like Dallas Goddard a little bit better. It's worth noting that Chiefs missed here too. They drafted a guy who also isn't in the league and they could have had Kirk or Goddard. So it's not just us, um, but at the same time, that one hurts. But I, I will, I'll take that a little easier on Brian Gunacus. Oren Burks, no good guys around him. Um, so that one wasn't really that good either. Jamon Moore, he missed on Jonathan Franklin Myers, Chase Edmonds, Dalton Schultz. All three are in the league. Jamon Moore is not. Uh, Franklin Myers and Dalton Schultz are starters. Chase Edmond is just got traded to, I believe, Denver, right? So Chase Edmond, and he's a backup running back, and, and I don't really look at him at the same level as Franklin Myers or Dalton Schultz. But to that point, Packers missed out twice on getting a tight end of the future. If you look at that in, in a nutshell, it's like, wow, that's sort of a big red stain on it. Now, and Javon Moore just did not work out. So three guys out of those four flamed out, but you nailed one. You absolutely nailed one, and that's important. And I, I think that matters. Then we go to 2019. It's for Sean Gary. No, nothing really needs to be said. Sean Gary was doubted by a lot of people. A lot of people gave the backers bad draft grades for it. Felt like Rashawn Gary would never live up to his potential. He lived up to his potential. That was a, it's not a dart throw because it's a first round pick, but that was a great foot in the ground move by Brian Gunacus. And you could argue, if you want to add more theories to this fire, that Gary, betting on Gary's athleticism has led to some other mistakes. Um, I, I think it's worth, it's worth at least suggesting that the Gary pick might have clouded some of Brian's, Brian's sort of theories and thoughts about different guys. Darnell Savage was the other first round pick. Now, Darnell Savage has not been good, right? He's had, he had one good year and that's kind of been it for him. But the guys around who who drafted with Darnell Savage isn't pretty. There's no one that stands out where I'm like, wow, I wish I would have got that guy. Um, there, There's none of those names. Montez Sweat was there actually, if we cheat a little bit, six, six picks later, but the Packers had already drafted Rashawn Gary. They didn't really need Montez Sweat. Remember, at that time, they did have the Smith brothers. They paid for the Smith brothers. They added Rashawn Gary to that mix. They wouldn't have added Montez Sweat. So I'm not going to hold that against Brian Gunacoust. The next pick was Elton Jenkins. That's an amazing pick, right? I know Elton Jenkins not had as good of a year as I think people want him to. Now it's a foot problem, but I still look at Elton Jenkins and see him as one of the best linemen in football. He's just coming back from injury. ACL tears can be a motherfucker. I think we all know that with the Bakhtiari injury. This one hurts. This one stinks, right? Jay Sternberger over Terry McLaurin. That will keep you up at night. I know Jay Sternberger had the funny tweet a couple weeks ago. Cool for him. I'm glad Jace can wallow in our misery. It's really bad. There is no excuse. McLaurin and Adams would have been unstoppable. They would have torn up the fucking league. That is probably the difference of not being at a Super Bowl, right? If you have Adams and McLaurin, 
how are you how how are any teams stopping that Packer offense in 2019 and 2020 and 2021 and then Adams can leave you can trade Adams and McLaurin is your number one guy and there you go and problem is solved Packers passed on Scary Terry and Scary Terry is I in my opinion one of the more underrated receivers in football he's getting a little more shine now that Taylor Heineke's back at the quarterback position that one though really hurts and that would be the Packers last pick they did not have a fourth round pick that year um, like I said, we're only doing up to fourth round. So, but that one is a stain. But so now we're going to go into COVID. But the Packers have nailed three picks in a major way. Three guys who are some of the best at their position: Sean Gary, Elton Jenkins, J.R. Alexander. You want that? That's hard to find. If we want me to go back and do the research and look at other teams, it I, some are few and far between. Where it's like, oh, he's a nice player, he's a role player, but he's not a premier player. Packers got three premier players there in the first four rounds. And that that matters. That's important. I think that that really speaks to good drafts. And I think that you hold your hat on that. Yes, were there mistakes? Sure. The Jace over Terry McLaurin is an awful mistake. The Josh Jackson thing is bad. But like I said, the Chiefs had the same problem. And and I think you'd find that to be more common. That's not just the Packers, but we're we're isolating, we're looking at this because of the Brian Gunakus discussion that everybody is really having about the trade deadline and everything else. So you go into 2020. 2020 is COVID year. Jordan Love is drafted. You could say Patrick Queen is one of the guys who was drafted after Love. Patrick Queen just got replaced by Roquan Smith, okay? Patrick Queen's not that good of a linebacker. He he is not what I think people made him out to be in 2020. Um, and I will defend that Jordan Love is a better pick than Patrick Queen. But there isn't much to like. And I promise you from everything that you read, Packers were going to take Brandon Ayuk. San Francisco swoops in and gets Ayuk. The Packers, again, to the point of risk aversion, right? The Packers should have made sure that Ayuk was their guy. They should have done everything fucking possible to make sure that Brandon Ayuk was their guy. After missing out, reminder, after missing out on Justin Jefferson, who Aaron Rodgers loved, and Jalen Rager. I realize Jalen Rager is not that good, and there's a weird, fucked up alternative universe where the Packers draft Jalen Rager, and he's terrible, and they never draft a first-round receiver again. I don't know, but maybe it was a situational thing, right? He played in Philly. Philly didn't really like him. He had some drop issues. Who knows, right? Maybe Jalen Rager is an entirely different player with the Green Bay Packers. We have 0.0 idea. But because of the risk aversion that we talked about at the beginning, Green Bay did not get Justin Jefferson. Rather, he went to the Minnesota Vikings. Green Bay did not get Brandon Ayuk. He went, Ayuk, excuse me. He went to the San Francisco 49ers. They didn't get Jalen Rager either. Packers were out of guys that they graded out first round talents and that's how they ended on Jordan Love and I will tell you that Jordan Love again is pretty easy in terms of the next five guys where Jordan Love was the right pick and I would do Jordan Love over again but the risk aversion part of this where it's like why not trade down and make sure that you're in the second round and take the best guy in the second round Take your T. Higgins. Take your Michael Pittman. I realize T. Higgins had a pretty awful RAS score, which is something Brian Gunacus looks at. And I, I, also, I should have pointed this out when we started this exercise. 
I, I don't care about that stuff. I know that can be pushed back. I realize that that would be a next level of research, but I still, I, I don't think you should be just married to the RAS score. And again, that could be part of the fundamental problem of what's going on with Brian Gunacus, where it's all about the potential and he's not looking at the production on the field. So that to me is is what, what you kind of have to look at, right? So moving forward and looking at the 2020 draft beyond Jordan Love. A.J. Dillon, I think people like A.J. Dillon. Uh, A.J. Dillon, probably the right player here. Um, there's There are a lot of good guys in that five, that group of five. You have Logan Wilson, who's actually really good for Cincinnati. Better than just kind of good. He's, he's good. Uh, Jeremy Chin and Antonio Gibson. Okay, those guys are lumped in your five. They all have problems though, right? Jeremy Chin can't cover worth a damn. He can tackle, he can now much better than Arnold Savage. But Jeremy Chin can't can't tackle, can't cover. And by the way, they drafted Savage the year prior, so they weren't they weren't going to draft Jeremy Chin first and foremost. Antonio Gibson fumbles a shit ton, and Logan Wilson is good, but he doesn't play edge. He's a he's an outside linebacker in a four three system. So I can't really look at Logan Wilson and be like, oh yeah, that was a guy who you could have paired with Rashawn Gary and had this awesome sort of combination. A.J. Dillon's been all right. I wouldn't say A.J. Dillon's been great. I wouldn't say A.J. Dillon's been mediocre. Um, it, last week was really encouraging from Dillon, and I feel like if we see more of that from Dillon, I can start buying back into A.J. Dillon being a premier back. But I am not there yet, and that scares me because Aaron Jones has a contract that escalates and goes up, and I worry that Green Bay is going to let Aaron Jones go and he's going to go to the fucking Rams. I had that thought today and I was like, fuck me. That is exactly what's going to happen. And I I can't let the Packers do that. I really can't. Trade A.J. Dillon, I don't care. But Aaron Jones should be your guy. Aaron Jones should be the guy you build around going forward. That should be the dude. Um, but I we'll see. That's another story for another time. Josiah DeGuerra uh, in the third round, a very controversial pick, but no one really stands out. Um, you know, J- Jacob Phillips plays for Cleveland. He's He's gotten a lot of criticism. Malik Harrison for the Baltimore Ravens has played a lot, but he's also got a, little, a lot of criticism. So I'm not ready to say, oh, yeah, Josiah DeGuerra, so much worse than those guys, right? I think that's an example with like the Warren Burke, same thing, where it's like, yeah, there's not there's not really a mistake here right? So then 2021 gets even more interesting. And in 2021, if you think about the COVID theory, right? 2020, you were still able to do a lot of your research, right? The All the issues, all the sanctions, everything that happened was March of 2020. 2021, you were not able to do a lot of boots on the ground. It was a lot of virtual. It was a lot of stuff that you didn't know what what was right, what was wrong, the whole thing. And so that to me is at least is at least notable, right? It's at least notable at this point that did 2021 go off the rails because they weren't able to scout how they're used to. It seems like that to me if I answer my own question. Cuz there are mistakes all over the first four rounds. Eric Stokes over Tyson Campbell it's been a rough sophomore year for Eric Stokes. Stokes is getting outplayed by his Georgia teammate, Tyson Campbell. He's also getting outplayed by Odefa Owe. 
and Gregory Rousseau. All those guys are bowling for those teams. They all got picked after Eric Stokes. Now Rousseau is a 4-3 end. Owe also a 4-3 end as well, which I didn't know. I thought Baltimore played a 3-4, but Owe is it could easily have been a pass rusher. If you don't want if you want to look a little far down, if you want to just kind of peek past five, Elijah Moore, Javon Holland, Landon Dickerson, Christian Barrymore. I mean, Eric Stokes is having a sophomore slump year. Eric Stokes had a really good rookie year. I'm not ready to write off Eric Stokes. Tyson Campbell, if I recall, was pretty undersized, but the guy's been playing really well. And I, I get the idea that you couldn't have had two undersized corners, but why couldn't Tyson Campbell have played the slot? Like, right? Why Why is that not possible? So yes, that one is looming. Then you have the round two, which I think is actually worse, is Josh Myers over Creed Humphrey. Creed Humphrey had an amazing rookie season, is one of the players to watch, is the mainstay of that Chiefs offensive line. And while Josh Myers is good, he's not at Creed Humphrey's level. And I think everybody really liked Creed Humphrey. So it's really interesting that Creed Humphrey gets picked the pick after Josh Myers. And yeah, that one, that one's going to sting for me. I, I really look at that one and think that could have been a big time mistake. And then in round three, yet another one, Amari Rogers over Nico Collins. It's within the five pick radius. The Packers opted for a slot receiver versus Collins on the outside. Somewhat understandable at the time, because remember, they didn't have Randall Cobb. They traded, they get Randall Cobb later that year. So they imagined that Amari Rogers was going to fill that role. They also had MVS, but they knew MVS was a free agent. And Nico Collins could have filled that role in year two. And Nico Collins has been pretty successful for the Houston Texans and might take over wide receiver one duties if Brandon Cooks continues to throw a fit. And then you have Royce Newman, uh, who's not good, right? Uh, I, I forgot that Royce Newman was a fourth round pick. Kind of makes me more mad of how bad Newman has been this year. Uh, there isn't really a lot there in that round four radius. Uh, the only guy that might be worth it was Brevin Jordan. But, but again, they had Big Bob, Evan McPherson. But do you really want to draft a kicker in the fourth round? I mean, Evan McPherson's probably a game changer for Green Bay. Does Evan McPherson miss, miss the kick that Crosby did in the divisional round? I, I don't know, right? I don't know if he does. And so you have to ask that question. And maybe McPherson would have been worth it. But... Again, it's a kicker in the fourth round. It's a, it's a lot, right? Uh, it's definitely a lot to ask for. And I look at this and I look at Ryan Gunaku's last, his all five drafts, and there has not been an elite player in the last two years. There has not been the guy where we're like, oh my God, he's one of the best in football or he's an up and coming star. Now, what's interesting is 2022, everything should have been back to normal for the most part. And Romeo Dobbs is balling out in that fourth fourth round selection. And why we didn't do 2022 is it's way too fucking early. It's eight games into their career. We could do this next, you know, next fall and take a look at it, but it's way too early. Christian Watson has not been able to stay on the field, which has infuriated a lot of people. And I, I understand that. But it's not like the guys who are in that second round are lighting it up. George Pickens has been very up and down. It's been very tumultuous. If you're riding the George Pickens market, it's kind of like day trading at this point. 
You don't really know what you're going to get on any given day. Alec Pierce has left a lot to be desired. I mean, Alec Pierce really hasn't had any sort of breakout game yet for the Indianapolis Colts. So when you look at Christian Watson, while it's frustrating, again, it's not necessarily this horrible bust. All of the wide receivers that were wanted were gone before 18. Green Bay had no shot. Now, you could make the case, Charlie, if they were a little more risk-taking, they would have pushed their way up and got a guy like Chris Olave, like New Orleans Saints, I believe, did. Yes, that, that's very true. They could have done that. But it's, it's one of those things where, where is that draft capital? And would that have been worth it? Would Chris Olave would have been the guy that's worth you know dumping your picks in? I don't know. I think if you're looking at the Devontae Adams succession plan and knowing Devontae Adams is gone, wouldn't you at least try to go all out for it? I realize drafting two receivers in the first four rounds is at least some of it, right? Is at least some of it. But they could have done more. They could have figured out a way to package picks to make make their way up to the first round and try to get somebody. I don't think Traylon Burks would be that effective in this Packers offense. He's just coming off IR, by the way. So I'm not, I don't really, I'm not really talking about Burks, rather the Alaves, even taking, I think Jameson Williams was taken too early. So I can't even endorse Jameson Williams. Everybody was, it is still, and we'll talk about the deadline here in a second, so wide receiver crazed that I, I think Green Bay wasn't prepared for it. And that goes back to point three about not having the Devontae Adams succession plan hammered out. They should have figured something out. I didn't really want to pay MVS $11 million a year, but if it would have kept some continuity and it's like you have MVS and Lazard, it doesn't make you feel great, but MVS, Lazard, and Cobb is a little bit better. And let's say they draft Watson. I realize this means you don't draft Romeo Dobbs, who could be the better of the two. We don't know yet. Uh, yeah, I, I think at this point, that's worth it, right? And I have a little bit of buyer's remorse on that, even though MVS, I wouldn't say, has had this outstanding run with Kansas City through the first eight games. But Kansas City, if you look at it, how they built a succession plan with Tyreek Hill is it's almost like they knew Tyreek was leaving. Let's get a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster, kind of an undervalued asset. Remember, Juju really struggled in Pittsburgh. Then let's also get MVS, another guy who maybe if the potential, he can take the top off. We don't expect him to be Tyrese replacement, but we can at least get something done. And then let's take a flyer on Kadarius Toney, which is a conditional third rounder, which is really a fourth rounder and a sixth rounder, and just take a shot. Packers have a lot of guys that look like Kadarius Toney, but I, I, would, I don't mind buy, a buy low option, right? And maybe the Giants didn't want to deal to their division. But Tony doesn't really seem like a guy that the Packers would want. So I think to finish off, and we talked about comfort zones a couple weeks ago um, when the Packers had first started to to lose. Brian Gunacus is going to need to force himself out of the comfort zone more than ever. The seat is hotter than ever for Brian Gunacus. Even though Ted Thompson had a lot of critics, a lot of haters, FireTedThompson.com, Ted delivered a Super Bowl in year four, I believe so, um, or year five, one of the two. Brian's nowhere near that 
in year four or five. Brian is in charge of a three and five team. Now, if he trusts the process, which he did with the deadline, maybe it all works out. But if the Green Bay Packers go eight and nine or nine and eight and maybe make the playoffs at nine and eight and they lose in the first round and the next year, the Chicago Bears emerge with Justin Fields and Chase Claypool down the field doing thing and the Bears are back and everybody's excited about the Chicago Bears. Justin Fields for MVP stuff is gaining momentum. The whole fucking thing. Then the Minnesota Vikings are coming off their NFC North title win and they have TJ Hawkinson and they have Justin Jefferson and their defense has improved. And they've you know given up draft capital to make their defense better, which needs help, which is still overrated by the way. Um, just wanted just want to lob that in there. They're losing to Washington this week. You can lock that in. How does that work for Packer fans, right? Well, and what if the Lions get CJ Stroud, and then they have their quarterback of the future? This has all the makings of a potential disaster. I understand remaining calm. I'm trying to remain optimistic. I like to be optimistic in group chats with my friends because. I think just being negative the entire time doesn't work. And I think that sometimes you need that other alternative voice. But I'm scared too. Like I'm worried that this is not going to work out. That this is not going to right the ship. That it's not going to just all of a sudden get back to it. And it would have helped if Brian Gunacus did something today. Again, I said it yesterday. It didn't need to be a wide receiver. If he had got a safety, right? If he got a linebacker, right? Just to make sure Campbell's hurt. Like we got a, we got somebody, we, we took care of it. If they offensive linemen get a Dennis Kelly type, right? Or a, what's uh, what's his name? Uh, Jared Veld here, right? Get one of those guys. Even Any of those moves, I'd feel a little bit better than I do today. And... I'm just worried. I am worried about this future. I do think there are opportunities to turn it around. I think the Packers obviously trust their talent. They have seven first round picks on the defensive front. We've said that a bunch. They have Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback. They have one of the best running backs in football. They have a young potential emerging wide receiver. They have Robert Tunyon, who should be fully healthy from his ACL tear in the second half. They have all the makings of a team that could go on a run. Just a question of if they will. If they do, Brian Gunacus is justified. We all look like idiots. It's a very similar conversation to a lot of people that had to put their tail between their legs with Ted Thompson. If we lose, and if it continues to go off the rails, it's hard for me to look at Brian Gunacus as a guy that has a long-term leash with this team. But maybe they have to wait till Aaron Rodgers is no longer on the roster. Moving on to the trade deadline. We're running up against it. Uh, that was a long segment. I'll admit that. That was probably one of my longer uh, deep dives. But I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys really got into that. I hope that you come away with it. Learned learning a little bit more. That I was able to kind of walk through some of the fine details of what Brian Gunacus has done and hasn't done. As for the deadline, Packers do nothing. I am frustrated by it, but I also understand it. Uh, and I want to point out, this is not a spin zone. It's not carrying the water, right? I I, I literally just criticized Brian Gunacus for 30 plus minutes. I hope, I hope that it comes across that I am not necessarily 
carrying the G, if you will, for the organization. The deadline moves, though, did not happen, I think are okay, right? Chase Claypool, they gave a second-round pick. It's been confirmed by the Pittsburgh beat. It's been confirmed by the Green Bay beat. People can take their tinfoil hats off and say, oh, the Packers leaked that to make it sound good. Everybody seems to think that there was a second-round pick involved. And the Pittsburgh Steelers chose the Bears being worse than the Packers. Now, there is a world where the Packers are worse than the Bears. I highly doubt that, just given the fact the Bears have lost so much defensively. But it could happen, and the Steelers screw up. But yes, the Steelers are hoping that the Bears have its top 40 pick and that they're able to get that for Chase Claypool for a year and a half. Had the Packers made that move, we aren't having the risk-adverse conversation because that is a risky move. It's a year and a half of... of It's a year and a half of Chase Claypool. It's not necessarily two and a half years like you would have with Jerry Judy. It's a year and a half with Chase Claypool, and that's it. And if you didn't have that extension ready and waiting for him, it kind of doesn't make sense. I imagine the Bears will do some sort of extension with Chase Claypool pretty shortly thereafter. Wouldn't surprise me if that's something done by Christmas or earlier than that even. As for Jerry Judy, I don't think Jerry Judy was even in the conversation. I don't think Jerry Judy entered the conversation. When Bradley Chubb got traded, I wondered, okay, is Jerry Judy going to get moved? I think the Broncos trusted what they had in their front seven and felt like they could still do the things that they've been doing defensively without Bradley Chubb. And that's why they moved him. And they didn't move anybody else, though. Uh, They actually traded for Chase Edmonds to help out their running game. They had no sort of Jerry Judy rumors at all. Jerry Judy has two and a half years left to control. They don't want to give up on Jerry Judy. Now, could I see Jerry Judy forcing his way out at the end of this year? Yeah, I could. He could be the next disgruntled wide receiver. Here all the time, if you listen to Bill Simmons about who is that next disgruntled NBA player, right? Who is that next guy where a team like the Knicks right now who have a ton of cap space and a ton of opportunity could swoop in and say, all right, we'll trade for that guy. That needs to be the Green Bay Packers this year. If Jerry Judy's unhappy, Jerry Judy talks about how he wants out of Denver, Brian Gunnicku should be the first call and he doesn't allow George Patton to hang up. He does that fucking deal. Goes back to a risk-averse conversation. Because even then, you'd still get two years of Jerry Judy. Under control, cheap contract. It's everything you want. Do it immediately. Don't even think about it. As for Brandon Cooks, the other name that was bounced around, Brandon Cooks has a big contract next year. $18 million to be exact. It is a huge deal. It's a huge, huge part and a huge sticking point of why Brandon Cooks wasn't dealt. Dealt, excuse me. There was some talk with Dallas about how Dallas, you know, wanted to deal for Brandon Cooks and they couldn't make it happen. Um, that it was just, it was just there was no no way for it to happen. They couldn't agree on compensation terms. Uh, that's you know that's an issue, right? Uh, that's that's going to be a problem. And the Packers weren't exactly involved with Cooks. They didn't exactly have. The conversation with Cooks, but at the same time, uh, I'm sure they were in the mix. And Cooks then has the tweets, very dramatic. Basically, he's like, "I want out." Uh, from what it sounds like, he was. I think he was told that he was going to get traded. He didn't get traded. He was like, "What the fuck?" What I would imagine is that New England, the well, they're not New England, but the Houston brass, who's from the New England tree, 
basically drove a really hard bargain and teams told him to fuck off. And whether it was Packers, whether it was Dallas, they were basically like, we're, we're not going to trade this much value for a guy like Brandon Cooks, who is 18 million, you know, with the cap next year. Is there a chance that Brandon Cooks still could be on the market in a couple weeks? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely on the table, right? But at the same time, I think that there are going to be a lot of teams that are trying to get him. It'd be the Rams. It'd be Dallas, Green Bay. Like, where would you rather go? Unless Aaron Rodgers and him have a relationship, Matt Flair have a relationship, and they sell the fuck out of it to Brandon Cooks, there is no way Brandon Cooks is going to choose to live in snowy Green Bay versus hanging out in LA or Dallas and have all the amenities of Jerry World. Dallas, as a city, not as maybe nice as some of the others, like a Miami or New York. And they, and they could be involved too, right? Joe Shane today, uh, after the deadline, didn't close the door on a potential Odell Beckham reunion. So they might be interested in receiver. Would you rather go, if you're going to go to a cold weather place, would you rather go to New York or would you rather go to Green Bay? I say this all the time with my friends. It never gets through to them. But you have to consider the fact that that is a major disadvantage for the Green Bay Packers. And Aaron Rodgers does not carry the gravitas and the weight that maybe he did in years past. And they think about that stuff. I think that Giannis carries that gravitas, right? And Milwaukee's a little different than Green Bay, but it's, it's a similar conversation, right? For people who would rather play in LA, would rather play in Brooklyn, whatever, Miami. But Giannis carries such a weight and you, you want to play with the best and you know that the best can win you a ring and that's all that matters. And so I don't think that Aaron Rodgers holds that same gravitational pull as a guy like Giannis does. So yes, we'll have to see if Cooks gets out. We'll see if Odell Beckham Jr. Will Fuller, I think people are saying he's retired. Um, I mean, you exhaust all options at this point. You at least look for somebody. You try to stop gap. You do not sit on your hands here. I think you're proactive. If you end up signing Will Fuller and Odell Beckham Jr., figure it the fuck out. Figure out how that works, right? So we'll have to, we'll have to see. And I, I will say with the deadline, I know everyone's going to call the Packers a loser. I think they are a loser in the sense of, again, not doing anything. But I also understand why they lost. And I can I can make peace with that. And so we'll see. We'll see what happens going forward. And we'll see if any more moves are made, any other things happen. I would love to hear Aaron Rodgers' comments uh, tomorrow. Uh, he meets with the media. Uh, he had said on Pat McAfee, oh, I expect to break some news. So I would imagine that news was Claypool. And unfortunately, went to the Bears. And he didn't go to the Packers. So be it. It is what it is. Last thing, uh, it's already pretty late with the show, so I'm not going to stay on too long. I wanted this to be a short show, um, which is hilarious, um, and it's not. Uh, Brooklyn Nets, they fire Steve Nash. I don't know if Steve Nash actually got fired, or they were both were like, yeah, this isn't working, I'm out. And he's no longer the coach of the New York Nets, or the Brooklyn. Uh. He's no longer the coach of the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, that is no more. Uh, he will likely get replaced by Emma Udoka. Uh, that is the rumor. The Nets have vehemently denied it. But Udoka, who has leaked stuff to Shams, leaked stuff to Woj, it's pretty much out there. It's pretty much a, a given that Udoka will be the next coach. I expect it to be a Friday news dump. Nothing screams Friday news dump more than Udoka becoming the coach of the Nets. It's extremely gross. It's not something the NBA wants 
on their on sort of their ledger. A guy who got accused of having a affair in the workforce with a subordinate just gets to waltz on and avoid a suspension and go coach another team. It sets a bad precedent. And I tell you, I'm telling you right now, the Boston media is one that loves to bury guys on the way out. There will be a bombshell story about Udoka in the next couple of days. I don't know when it's coming, but I guarantee you there will be a story out there about Udoka. And it will not be good. Because A, Boston is not like their back getting turned on. And B, the owners tend to do that. It has been done with the Celtics. It has been done with the Red Sox most notably. Uh, But it's going to be a big piece. And I don't know who's going to write it. But I guarantee you, there will be a massive Udoka story before this week is over. And so now you get to the impact that Udoka could have on this Nets team. Nets team doesn't really play a lot of defense. They have nobody to protect the paint. I don't necessarily see a light of the end of the tunnel for that. Kyrie Irving had his anti-Semitic comments. Um, Kyrie Irving is a complete idiot. Uh, Irving, the fact that the NBA Players Association didn't call out Kyrie by name in their statement against anti-Semitism is absolutely gutless and pathetic. Kyrie Irving should not have a job with the PA right now. The fact that he does is, again, cowardice, but it's very much similar and on par with what the NBA is all about. The NBA will talk a big game. The NBA will speak up for things, but then they'll cater to you know the Chinese government, for example, right? That's, that's, not, that's not how it works. It's either you're all in and you're all in on protecting the people and being for the people or you're all out. The NFL is all out, right? Major League Baseball, for the most part, is all out. NHL is, I would say the NHL sometimes tows it, but for the most part, they're all out too. It's only the NBA and maybe MLS soccer. So pick a side. And as for Udoka and leading this Nets team, I don't think Rome can be built in a day. Maybe it can be. Maybe the players respond and maybe all of a sudden the Nets are a contender again. I didn't like M.A. Udoka when he faced when the Celtics faced the Bucks. I thought Udoka was a hard ass. I thought he was a try hard. And I look forward to beating that team. Not only the Celtics, but Udoka himself. He added an extra element. He's like he was the crushed red pepper flakes of that series. He added just enough spice where you're like, all right, kind of fuck this guy. We don't want to deal with this guy. And that is exactly that is exactly what we have. Um, so I don't know if you're going to get that year one. I think it's more of a year two project. I think they're going to probably have to rebuild what the Nets have. Would the net would the Nets just take Kyrie Irving for Russell Westbrook and no picks attached? I don't know. To just get Kyrie the fuck away from what they're doing, it's it's possible. It's definitely it's definitely on the table. So we'll have to see. I'm not exactly I'm not exactly worried about it at this point. Um, just there's no need, right? There's no need to waste the energy on it. There's no need. We don't haven't seen this Nets team now is I think two and six, and that's you know starting to get difficult. Mitch talks about this. This don't sleep on this. Like I know there are that still have what do the quick math here. Seventy four games left, but they you start running out. Like I remember when the Bucks struggled to start the year, Mitch was like. 
you know what? There, the room for error is not is not a lot. Like you're gonna have to get hot here at some point. Now the Nets win 12 games in a row. Yes, it's all absolved. But could you really trust the Nets to even win one game? I thought the Nets were gonna come out with some passion tonight. Like I thought the Nets were gonna bring it because it's their coach got fired. It's the classic coach got fired bounce. No, lay a complete egg against a spunky Chicago team, and I should have realized that Chicago is the type of team that Brooklyn doesn't want to play because they are spunky. They they get pretty get pretty in your face, and it's nothing you want to deal with. But yeah, so. We'll see what happens. Um, Definitely a long way to go, and I would assume that story is far from over. All right, that does it for today's show. Uh, Make sure that you are rating and reviewing if you enjoyed today's show, enjoyed any other show. Also, make sure to subscribe uh, if my father listened because I'm going to send him the podcast, which I don't usually do. Um, I apologize for the curse. You know, so you get late at night, starts flowing a little bit, uh, but hopefully that's okay because I know that's what he's going to say. Uh, you swore too much on the podcast. It's, listen to anyone. I, I could give you examples upon examples. Try to be try to be better with it. But if uh, other people are like, hey, uh, you swear too much. I can't listen to you with my kids in the car. Um, I will take that feedback and then try very hard. We used to, a uh, little behind the curtains here. We used to try like to not swear at all when Mitch and I would tape because we, we wanted to send that to like radio stations. We never really did. Because, of course, you know, never actually follow up on on stuff that's important. And we would do our best just to not swear at all. And every now and again, it slips, right? You're talking and it's just, it's because it's like you're at the bar, right? And and it happens. But yeah, we, we used to try to be super buttoned up for that. So if there are others who are like, hey, yeah, you swear too much, I will, uh, I'll be careful. But I, and I also recommend, like, it's usually as it goes on. Usually at the end of it, I'm just kind of like, ah. It's over. I was going to say something else, but I, I didn't. I didn't add one more to the docket. All right. Take care, guys. Have a good day. We'll be back tomorrow with Mitch. I uh, should have a lot to talk about. Excited for that. We'll, uh, we'll talk to them. See you. Bye.